You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Adrian and Sean, welcome to Token Theater Friends. I'm so happy to have you here. So who do you play in Black Ops? I play um, Alessandra Sabine in the Black Odyssey, as well as two other tertiary characters, um, Circe and Charybdis, who was a part of the Sirens. And I play Ulysses, Ulysses Malcolm Lincoln. And um, I don't play any other characters. <laughs> All the characters are- As he's the titular character, honey. Yeah. The the char- <laughs> yeah, a lot of the characters are conspiring to, to help him. Uh, come to consciousness in a way. Black Odyssey is, uh, uh, let's say, like a, a, an updated version of the Odyssey that we know. Like, how would you describe the the play? Well, I would say it's a it's a it's a, it feels more like a, a retelling. Um, it the play plays as a fever dream in a way. Mm. And it happens while Ulysses is under the knife for a, a, a condition called hydrocephalus. He's being treated for it. And as he's being treated, he's hearing voices and seeing visions of his ancestors and of his family, things that are happening in real time and things that are happening in the past and present and future. And a lot of these interactions are part of a conspiracy in order to bring him back into consciousness so he can see his family. And he can be healthy and present for them. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Artist Gartley is a genius, and I don't think I have to tell you this, like you know it very well. So how is it to open a script by uh, Marcus and just dive into it? Like, is, uh, just, can you brag about it? Like, I'm sure it's incredible. All the time. All the time. I mean, I, I met Marcus um, very early on in the beginning of my career um, in New York. And he was, um, he saw me in a play um, and he invited me to sort of join his circle of actors when he would write and have readings and workshops. So I have been on the Marcus Gartley train for over 10 years and I have loved every single thing that he's done. And we, he and I always promise to work together 
And so when this opportunity fell on, on my plate, I was like, come hell or high water. I'm going to make this happen because I haven't, you know, and I've, and I've been, I've been blessed to work with a lot of writers um, thus far in my career. And he definitely is one of the standouts because his words are poignant. His storytelling is elaborate and emotional. I mean, all the feelings that you could feel, you're going to go on this journey on, and, and on this range of emotions because he creates such specific characters and he allows you within the wording and in the language to just give it everything, every facility that you have within you to make it, to, to make this character come to life and to make the story come to life. So it makes perfect sense that it was this heroic, crazy, epic saga tale of, of Black Odyssey, of Odyssey, that we call Black Odyssey, to, to finally be able to like say his words every night. It is an honor for me, for sure. It's an honor for me as well. And there, it, it, to open the script, it can feel intimidating because it's it, there's so many words and, and you want to do it justice. Um, and what I discovered with the script and, and how Marcus writes is it reads one way and then you hear it and it's it doing something sonically with the alliteration and the sounds and the words that sound alike but don't mean the same thing. And even into performances, I'm making discoveries. There's a, there's a scene where um, a character's picking my hair and they go, uh, tell me a story. And it doesn't have to be a, you know, a, a, a good story because I ain't picky. And I was like, my, my brain exploded because I'm like, they're picking my hair. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was just like, wow. Like it was just, it was like a moment. And I was like, there's so many other little things where you, you may not discover it until further into rehearsal or later mm -hmm. in it lands in a, in a weird way. It's beautiful, beautiful writing. Mm -hmm. It's always revealing itself to you. The, the, the script, the play, the, the, the words, how you can play with the words and how you can um, emphasize a meaning or a point, you know, within it. And, th and then sometimes you'll be saying, you'll be saying a line every night for like two, three weeks. And then it, you'll live, like, like Sean said, you'll have this moment where it'll hit you like, oh, that's what that, like that line means so much more. <laughs> and, and sometimes it can happen when an audience member reacts to it. And then you hear it through their perspective and you're like, oh shit. Or somebody or another actor looks at you a certain way and you're like, oh, that's what that is. Cause I thought it was this thing, but it's, it's bizarre. That's also so cool though, because like I, I'm pretty sure that in a parallel universe, Marcus is Secretary of Education, because at a time when you know, like we are being told that classics and history should not be, you know, taught or visited, he's doing this incredible thing, which is like reworking the classics to be able to include uh, Black history and merge them and see like this is why both are important and you can mm -hmm. like disregard one or or the other. So you kind of already touched on what you discover about mm -hmm. the play every night, but what have you discovered about I guess the way history is written, the way history is told by doing this this play with him? That is cyclical. You know the things that. Um, were being written about in the 60s. Heck, 
in, in during the time of the Odyssey. You know, I mean, no, not during the time because it is a it's a mythology. But I mean, a you know that the, these same stories and and struggles that that people go go through um, is cyclical. It's it happens to us all. I mean, the fact that you could take something that was this this you know fantastical story and apply it to you know, a modern day black man and his family and what's going on today, but then also jump periods in time and in space and in history and it still be relevant, you know? And what I also love is that, yes, you have the Greek mythology, you have the black history and the black culture. You also have, you know, spirituality, deep roots of, of spirituality and African, um, African um, ideas and, and, and folklore and, and, just, and it all like blends together and it makes sense. Like, it's interesting, some of, my, some of the feedback from the audience are like, sometimes, sometimes I didn't know what was happening, but I was still there. And then it all made sense to me. And I went back and I was like, oh, that's why that, you know, it, it's interesting how it all kind of collides um, in this beautiful kaleidoscope and this tapestry of, of like bl black culture you know, and history yeah. and music. And, you know, it just, it's all there. <laughs> Everything she said. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take it. it. It's so refreshing and so rare, I would say, to hear actors talking about, listening to what the audience is, how the audience is reacting when you're on stage. Like, I feel like usually, uh, I don't know if maybe I haven't asked the right questions, but. I'm always under the assumption that people just kind of learn how to block audience members. No, 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 no. Not no, our no. audience. No. But <laughs> not in our general, audience. Tell them, Sean. <laughs> but in, our audience is very vocal. It's, they it's are, an interactive They are show. in the play. Yeah, it's they an are, interactive show. Yes. And, and truthfully, I do think some moments live or die with whether or not the audience is there with us. Um, and if they're not there, you can feel it you can feel that there's there's something off. So when they're with you, they're with you. I, I always look at it like, and I've always thought this, no matter what play I was doing, it always feels like you rehearse a play, you, 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 you do room runs, you do a tech rehearsal, but the play isn't complete until you get your last scene partner. And the last scene partner is that audience and they're different every night. Yep, 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 yep. I agree, I a thousand percent agree. And, and the play, um, at the very beginning, you know, we say, let us begin at the beginning so we can end at the end. And we, we are literally inviting the audience um, into this world, into this experience, into this story to come along with us. I mean, we say, you know, shout out, <laughs> clap if you feel like, clap and stomp, dance, you know. And then I remember we were talking um, actually for Saturday's show was probably one of our most vocal audiences <laughs> that we were, we were like, okay, okay. I mean, <laughs> at one point, you know, there, there are moments of the show where you feel like you're watching, um, you know, our version of like good times and the Jeffersons, like together with the family dynamic. Right. And the audience chimes in and they'll be like, uh, uh, girl, don't do it. Uh, no, no, don't do it. Okay, no. And you just like, okay. <laughs> Let me get the words out. <laughs> They're in it. They're in it. So we it's it's but it was built to be an interactive piece. And so throughout the show, we're talking to the audience. Um 
at one point, I mean, I don't do it anymore, but at one point I, I was sitting in the audience members lap, you know, but then I was like, maybe for the COVID safety of it all, I shouldn't keep doing that, you know, but it's a very interactive play. Yeah. There are even moments when, when I, there's, there's a moment where I give a speech or moments in the, the, where I look at the audience and I address them directly. Um, I usually pick a person and address them, pick a different person every night. Or even there's a moment where we do the sirens, uh, where we do like a musical number and I have eye contact because my character is looking for help in the moment. So I look at an audience member like, help me please. Like, you know, cause they're, they're there. You can you can see them. You can't act like they're not there. Do they always want to help, or have you had cases where someone's like gets like stage fright? There was one person when I pointed to them and they like shuddered a little bit, like like me, like <laughs> you know, because it's a, it's a it's a it's a deep moment. So when I pointed to them, I could tell that they stopped breathing. Um, but I'm like, no, you came here to to be a part of a show. You're not. This is not the show to come and be like entertain me. You can't just sit in the audience and just, it, it's the type of show we have to be a part of it. You, you, you're in there, you're in the room. So it's almost like the audience is kind of like a, an extra like Greek chorus, right? They should be. Well, the audience is a character. Trust me, they're a character in the show. <laughs> even when they're silent, you know, because that even speaks, you know, and a lot of times actors think when an audience is silent that they're not engaged or involved. But, you know, um, I, I, I take that as they're just listening deeper. We were just talking about that yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes we do, sometimes we do get, you know, <laughs> or we get a really quiet audience and it's like, what do, what do you do then? And right. so I tell myself, because it is such a, we, we do, we do receive and we enjoy the laughter or the talk back or the, you know, the, the sniffles and the cries that we hear or the, you know, the, the catching of a breath, like all of that is like, okay, they're there with, they're, they're there with us. And so sometimes that can feed you. And then when you don't hear it, you're like, wait, are they not there with us? Are they not, do they not think that was funny? And you can, you can get inside your head or you can say, oh no, they're just really paying attention. Right. Oh, they're listening. They're quiet throughout the whole show. And then you hear someone blowing their nose like during a sad scene. And you're like, oh, they're, they're there. They're there. They're still there. <laughs> so like, as people that, you know, like as creative people and artists that obviously uh, get something from this feedback, what replaced, probably there was no replacement for it, but what, what occupied, I guess, the, the, the space of an audience during the years that theater was, you know, uh, on a break because of the pandemic, how did you get that? I don't know those creative juices. Like, how did you feed that relationship without having a live audience uh, in your life? Don't. That's. I think that was what was hard for a lot of artists is because you don't have that relationship to the people who are consuming the content that you're creating or the work that you're doing. You don't have a direct relationship with them. Um, I think that's also the challenge of like, you know, acting on camera. You know, you don't get to be in contact with the people who are watching you every week or watching you, you know, day to day. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was hard. I mean, I um, I think we all, you know, get into this business because of our love of storytelling and our love of entertaining and our love of creating this world and this portal for people to, you know, go through and escape, you know, whatever they're 
reality is for just a moment in time. So it was hard um, to, to, to not uh, have that. And even, I, I, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I went back to shooting relatively early in the lockdown and the pandemic. And as excited as I was about like, oh my God, I get to go back to work and, you know, do some things. It was a challenge because storytelling and how we tell stories changed and shifted. I mean, just how set protocol had to change. And even now today, you know, in the audience, you know, our audience members have to wear masks. And I, I always look forward to like looking in, out and seeing faces, especially with a show like this. Like I can only imagine. Yes. If we had, if we would have done the show before the pandemic, or like, hopefully in like five years, less than five years down the road, when you know we're not required to wear masks in the theater and test all the time, and you know have these, you know, it's a breakout or whatever, that we can like go back to seeing faces, you yeah. know, because especially with a show like this, because it is so interactive, and we do depend on like seeing and hearing from the other characters, the audience in our show. Right. Has has your relationship with your craft changed in any way because of this, uh, you know, weird times that we just are coming? I don't know if we're coming out of it or not, but you know, like this years that we've experienced recently. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, it's interesting because when I first started doing a lot of theater, I was doing like regional and you know traveling to different theaters. And so the dynamic is different because you're, you know, staying in this apartment or this housing situation with everybody else. And so you kind of already are just kind of clubbed together. Um, and I remember I did this show once. We opened at La Jolla and then we came back and opened at Playwrights. And so we had this wonderful time in La Jolla, California, like getting to know each other and like, you know, whatever. And then we come back to New York and it's like, all right, I'm bye. Just like leave and you go home. And then sometimes you go you go grab a drink with your castmates afterwards. And sometimes people are like, oh, I haven't seen y'all for 10 hours today. <laughs> I need to be out. But I will say this cast is extraordinary. And we love each other. We we like we we fan booed up like day one. Um and it's been it's been wonderful. Like I even on the tough days, and I know Sean will agree with me. Even on the tough days when I was like, man, I don't know about this. And I can do all this that they're asking of me. I literally went every day because of them. Because the I, I love this cast. It, it, there are even moments, I mean, we were talking, we were like, we don't even have to do the play. We can just hang out. <laughs> we can day. just go to the theater. <laughs> we can just go to the theater and hang out. <laughs> there was one time I literally came, I was like, I don't even want to do this show tonight, but dang, I want to hang out with y'all. <laughs> just hang out with y'all. <laughs> Yeah, and that was us last night. It was it was great to kind of hang out with the cast and you know their friends and family after the show, um, because yeah, it's it's just a great group. It's just a great group of and people. It's, and it's a, it's a blessing to be a part of something where everybody's genuinely wants to do their best in order to tell the story, and you can tell that it's it's about the story and 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 to get along with people to get along with the cast and even the, the crew, you know, the people backstage who are helping us get our wigs and clothes on, like we get along and that's a blessing to have that because it doesn't always turn out that way. Sometimes it's the exact opposite. 
<laughs> okay, so Adrian, I am about to do some cross-referencing, I guess, to other episodes. So uh, I will ask Sean a question that we've asked you in the past. So I'm not trying to bypass you or ignore you, but if you want to know what Adrian said, go back and listen or watch our uh, episode with Adrian, which is like a fantastic episode, by the way. So, Sean, the question for you is awesome. why why theater? Why did you want to get? Uh, why did you want to become an actor? Whoa. Okay. Um, well, I was always an imaginative. I grew up as an only child, and I grew up in a in a. I grew up in a housing project, and being an only child in a housing project, you sort of become self reliant on your imagination and so I had a really wild imagination I fell in love with make-believe at an early age I would make believe everything in my room I'd be doing sailing ships and shit doing crazy stuff in my room um and as I got older I never grew out of it and I found the closest thing I could do to 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 living make-believe as an adult which is this and then eventually finding purpose within that and then being like, oh, I can use this to affect other people. It's not just like a selfish pursuit. It's actually something that I can do to be of service. Um, and so that's that's where it came from, just the, the love of make-believe and imagining something or escaping or finding something new within myself that I didn't know that I had. And I've tried other things, tried a lot of other things, and they didn't work. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay, now I want to know what have you tried? And I don't think I ever asked you this, Adrian. Like, have you tried something that's not what you do and do so well and love? Yeah, I tried a lot of shit. I was like, at one point, okay, so like, at one point I wanted to be a forensics detective. So I went to the high school for law enforcement and public safety, studied forensics. And was like, I want to do this thing. Then we went to a real forensics lab and it was nothing like it was on TV. It was nothing like CSI. It was like cold, fluorescent light, white walls. I was like, where's the blue light? Where's the suits? Where's the, the dim, dimly lit labs? And it didn't look like that. So I was like, oh, I want to be on the show. I don't want to do this every day. Um, I've tried... I thought I thought I wanted to be a, a radio broadcaster. Thought I wanted to be a newscaster. There were a bunch of things I tried. A model. None of, the, none of that shit really clicked. <laughs> you could still model, Sean. Hey, you think so? You think so? <laughs> might have to might have to trim that down a little bit at the top. Yeah, and me quickly. Um, I think every actor, you know, goes through a journey of several jobs. Um, I was in marketing and advertising before I even moved into the arts professionally and, you know, went back to graduate school and got my degree and so forth. So I was an event planner and I, you know, worked with major Fortune 500 companies and helped them achieve their vision for um, their, their marketing campaigns. And then uh, when I was that struggling actor, <laughs> I did everything from working in a cookie shop. I was a nanny for years. Um, I worked I worked at CFO Magazine. That's, they tried to pull me back in. When they realized how good I was, they were like, oh, are you sure you don't wanna, 
you don't want to get back into marketing? And I was like, nah, I'm good. And surprisingly, funny, funny enough, my old boss, my old boss from CFO Magazine came to the show a couple nights ago. And she was like, she pulled her mask out. She's like, hey, Jay. And I was like, oh my God, Molly. That's fantastic. <laughs> You're like, I'm still not coming back. So I'm trying to I know. <laughs> Funny, I think I had an influence on her because after she left the company, she started working at BAM and now works at City Center. Wow. You see, you show up where you're supposed to show up, God will show out. Yes, and sometimes when you follow the thing that you're supposed to be following, you even said this, Adrian, when you follow the the journey that you're supposed to be following, it leads others to where they want to go and inspires others to do the same. Mm Mm-hmm. We get we get deeper now. Talking about the odd jobs that we were doing to survive. I I was like a cater waiter. I was a tour guide at Radio City. I did a lot of shit. It's crazy. (laughs) Like actors, we do a lot. Yeah, actors. Question. I got a question. Oh, can I ask a question, Jose? Can I ask who? Jose. You to you. What was the job? Or what was the, yeah, where, where you were able to transition full-time into being a professional artist? Like the acting job? Yeah, like when you were like, oh, I don't need to like do side jobs anymore. I can like, this is, I'm a professional actor. My income draws primarily from this. I think it was voiceover stuff. Mm. And that's how I got my SAG card, through voiceover first. Mm. So, yeah, it was like like n- n- little narration gigs here and there, commercial here and there, and I was like, oh, okay, I, I'm, I can, I can survive. You know. Got it. Got it. Okay. That's kind of like, it's kind of like that newscaster job in a way, right? Like you see your voice. Yeah, but then you can actually make believe, because newscaster. I mean, like I know they make believe a little bit. They no, they actually make believe a lot, but but it's a different kind of make believe. You know, um, you can still act and play different characters or, um, but also you, you don't, there's a way with narration where you're invested, but you're, you're also not, you're, it's, it, there's an objectiveness to it that I really enjoy with, with um, narration. The two of you followed, uh, you know, the, the uh, academic path in order to become actors. And when you're in school, you are usually taught, you know, the classics, not in this cool way that Marcus does the classics, but the classics as this like imposition almost. Like you have to learn the canon because it is the canon and we cannot question it. So what are some works that you wish were regarded as part of the canon that aren't uh, maybe done enough, or maybe people just never uh, seem to stage at all. You know, so well, my my idea of the quote unquote canon is different for me because the things that I consider <laughs> canon for me are the plays that I like, <laughs> and then there's the plays that you learn about in school. But then if somebody was like, "This is the canon of plays." As far as I'm concerned, every Black play that I've read or that I like is in the canon, too. The canon is subjective, I think. There's some teachers that are like, you know, this is nothing to can't. I'm not, 
It's subjective, but I, I think it also points to the lack of opportunities for, you know, BIPOC playwrights in general, Black, Indigenous, you know, people of color, because of who the core students are in the schools, right? You can, you know, I mean, I know we're moving toward the society of, of genderless casting and non-binary casting and so forth, and, or, you know, non, I don't even know all the words, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Non-traditional casting, that's the word. Um, right. But I remember specifically when I was in graduate school, we were doing plays that fit the student body. You know, yes. so we were doing a lot of, plays from a, from you know white playwrights um so i think that issue kind of needs to be looked at perspective needs to be looked at with a little bit more scrutiny because then in that case i think there are a lot of bipart artists that should have their work as as being considered as canons in our in our literary work like i think alice childress i think yes. pearl clay i think i mean i know we've done it we've celebrated august wilson i know we've celebrated lorraine hansberry as there's they should more. but there's so many more you know amiri baraka they right james baldwin i mean there's so many there's so many um people who i think work needs to be lifted up on a regular basis i think i think there's there's just there's a lot of playwrights who go unlooked because you know it's it's like if we if it's not celebrating the august wilson and lorraine hansberry then yeah. you know they don't deserve the light but they they just as much deserve the light there's there's so many other stories that need to be told but then because because those stories aren't being told in in the education system there are there are artists coming up that don't get the chance to say those words or that don't know that they are represented in text mm -hmm. that there mm -hmm. that there are characters that are like them or characters that they could play mm -hmm. so Somebody, I remember being a young kid coming up looking for a monologue, and you know, this is before I really was aware of August. As a kid trying to do monologues, just to do monologues at home, and I'm like, I didn't, I had no idea until I became like a late teens. I was like, why didn't I know about this? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And let's be clear, Marcus Garley will definitely go down in that book of canon, but you know, of, of works that are playwrights whose work will be um, heavily heavily cycled through the generations. I remember one time I was having a conversation with him and he told me he had 15 plays commissioned at one time. My God. At, at theaters around the country. And I was like, 15? <laughs> you wrote that many plays? <laughs> In addition to all this plays that you didn't get to know and learn about until you were done at school, what are some other things that you wish school included? Because I'm actually right now, the reason why I'm in Spain is I'm going to grad school. And in so many ways, the, the you know, academia seems to be so stuck in this very narrow-minded idea of how things should be done and how everything has to be like scientific process and all of this like very uh, limiting and unimaginative ways of doing things. So what were some other things that, that you wish got um taught in school the the business of it all and and on camera work because that's a different instrument it it's the it's truth is truth 
but there's a different instrument at play when it comes to your body and what things are doing. I, I, I sometimes wish that the schools that I had gone to had prepared me. I feel like my graduate school experience prepared me a little bit more, but like undergrad and, and you know, you take classes in the city, but nobody's teaching you. You got to find a lot of the business shit. You got to find out on your own. Or you, or you find a mentor to tell you, you know. I agree uh, wholeheartedly, Sean. I think um, there's not enough explained about how the business works, how to navigate it, how to how to get an agent, how to how to if you if you want to be a writer, how to how to break into the business. I mean, a lot of people get into the business through referrals, you know, um, or if they you know get selected at some type of talent showcase or you know whatnot. I mean, it's there's no clear cut path, um, even in going to graduate school, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I think for sure to educate, uh, because, and, and I was, I'll tell you, this is, this is the lesson that Snoop Dogg taught me. He said, there's a reason why they call it the entertainment industry or the entertainment business. Right. He was like, my job is the entertainment. That's what I was hired to do. And that's what I bring forth. But the business, that's what everybody else, you know, your manager, your team, your agents, this and this and that, you know, they facilitate the business and you have to, you have to really remember that it's the entertainment business and both of them, you know, operate as, as one and the same, you know, so to speak, but a lot of artists just think, oh, I just want to do art. I just want to, uh, and I was like, it's great, do art all you want to, but how much of the business do you know? And, and if how you much really of the business can you navigate? And, and if you really want to make a living, it's just the understanding that one hand washes the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a masterclass right there. <laughs> <laughs> but the on-camera thing, I remember being an undergrad and like we were fighting for um on even in graduate school, we were fighting for like on-camera classes. Um, because it was a different thing. We found that it's just in a different instrument. You know, like the equivalent of like a, a a set change on a stage it, on camera. All you got to do is look to the left, and it's, it's you telling a different story. It's 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 a it's a lot for the actor's instrument to 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 realize. Oh, this is a completely different thing. It's just not acting is acting, but it's, there's so many different things at play depending on what medium you're using. I remember the first few on-camera auditions I went to, and I was so nervous. And, and we actually did do some on-camera um, classes in graduate school. But the first few, I was so nervous because it was like, oh, you know, what they don't prepare you for is now you're in a room with a casting director, you know, and they got, they didn't see how many people today, and they got you, you third of 50 or you the 50th of 100, you know what I'm saying? So you go in there with all this, like, anxiety and I want to do good I want to do good so my first few auditions I was so nervous Jose like no lie I straight up looked dead in the camera's eye the entire time <laughs> like a I, deer. I, that I, was too. Like, I was like whatever the line was I was like I know they looked at that camera and was like, she's not gonna make it. That's another thing they don't prepare you for. Like when you're on set and there's a camera that like that, like this close to your face, and you're supposed to have an intimate moment with somebody, and there's this big black thing up against your face, and you're just mm -hmm. like, 
and then yeah. and your and your and your acting partner is trying to do their best, trying to be as close to that camera as possible. And you're like, girl, it's not gonna work. It's not working. Yeah. This shot, then, this yeah. shot is gonna get edited out because they're gonna see this is the bull. <laughs> yeah, and then they're gonna then they tell you, oh, you can't look in your your scene partner's eyes because it's looking, it reads differently on camera. That's happened to me before, where it was like. You're not, you can't look in their eyes because it looks as though you're looking somewhere else. So cheat your eye line. And now I'm looking at a, a book on their bookshelf for the scene. It's like, it's, it's different. You know, it's a different, it's a different animal. Do you have any practical, let's not call it advice, but rituals or suggestions of things that you do that might aid people who are listening, who are actors who don't know how to move between mediums like the two of you expertly do like what are some tips that you have for people like that there is a calibration of the and this is gonna sound real i don't want to sound pretentious you know when people say oh the instrument but like there's like a calibration you know how like if you work with sound levels there's like an equalizer there's like a calibration of that with when it comes to theater and film so like with film it's like oh the, the equalizer for the visual you can turn that up a little bit but the equalizer for sound is maybe not so high because you're mic'd here, you got a mic here. But then when you're on stage, it's like maybe a little bit of both, but the visual, the intimate visuals may not read, but the bigger visuals read better because you're in the theater. So it's like calibrating that, like how much of my body, you know, for like a, for a frame, it's like, you know, you can do something, but then on stage, it's like my legs and everything is in, is in the frame. So my whole, there's like a calibration of what works for what medium or what shot? You know, I think what my mother has always encouraged me to always remain open and be, um, be open to explore and have new experiences and to say yes as often as you can, you know, obviously when it's within reason and, you know, it's not, you know, um, detrimental. Um, but to say yes. And so I started my, my, similarly to you, Sean, my voiceover career was the first, my, was my first entry into um, professional work. And that's how I got my SAG card um, because I said yes. And I didn't, and my agent at the time only represented me commercially. And so I still had to get a theatrical agent. And so I was still like beating the pavement around New York, trying to, trying to, mm -hmm. trying to get onto a New York stage so somebody could give me a chance. Um, and then that, you know, is what opened the door to stage and then film and then television. But it's always just saying yes and always being like, why, why put myself in a box if nobody else is putting me in that box? Yes. If they asking me, can you do it? I'm like, yes. <laughs> Yes, and and also like <laughs> I got in trouble with that a couple of times, like saying someone your special skills, saying that you can't, saying that you can do something that you really can't do. Okay, but, well, don't be saying you fluent in Spanish, <laughs> bro. If you ain't fluent in Spanish, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But but no, but like say yes and say yes to the things that scare you, because I think there's something there. There's something to be said for something that that feels intimidating or daunting or scary. Say yes to that. Move in that direction because that means that you'll grow and you'll learn. To me, that's fearlessness. Like a lot of people are like, what is like what does it mean to be fearless? And I think it is to approach it, approach that thing that you that you fear, like to lean into that fear. That to me is fearlessness. 
you know, um, a lot of people think it's, oh, being powerful and like overcoming the fear, but it's like, no, it's actually being like, this scares the shit out of me. Let me try it. I mean, that's what the Black Odyssey was. The Black Odyssey, when I read the script, I was like, well, it's a lot of singing. And I'm knowing Marcus, you know, Marcus is not like one of those sit down and just like talk kind of like writers, you know, his, his characters are constantly engaging and and moving and, 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 you know, doing all these things. And so I was like, man, it's a lot of singing. And then I kept seeing my characters with a song and then a song and then a song and then another song. And I was like, is this a musical? <laughs> this is a musical. This ain't just a play. Um, and that scared me. And I said, and I said yes to it just because it scared me, you know, just because I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah, I, 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 same exact thing. Somebody in our cast said something that always cracked that, that I think about to this day when they, they said, Harriet, when she's like, every time I turn the page, it's yellow. Because <laughs> you know, when the actor highlights their lines, they have yellow and it's like, damn, I got more shit to say. I was like, first time I read it, I was like, damn, this brother's going through a lot. Can I do this? I'm gonna do it. And so, because I was like, it's it's scary, but it's exciting. Um, and so, yeah, same thing. Same as yeah. Agent. If it doesn't scare you, what's the what's the point of doing it, right? This is Lola, by the way. Oh, what's the I don't name? Think you want to edit her in or out of it, but this is one of my dogs. This is Lola. She I'm kept. She's been the whole time. She's been scratching my leg because she wants to get in my lap. So oh, like we love dogs. Like break all the dogs. How many dogs do you have? I have three, but two of them are with me now. The other one is is resting patiently on the floor. They're all invited. This, They're all welcome. This is the this is the little. She's the the selfish one. <laughs> she's cute. She's cute. Yeah. Yeah. Very very anyway. very adorable. Um. So after dealing with things that that scared you, like I'm glad that you ended up wanting to do the play. But after dealing with things that scare you and playing characters as intense as the characters that you play and and black odyssey how do you like unwind like how do you oh my gosh she's yawning i'm sorry I, dogs just <laughs> i cannot i can't sorry uh, okay so how, <laughs> how, how do you unwind how do you release all the emotions that you have been dealing with on stage i try to meditate i try to pray um it's funny because I usually like to like sit in a room alone, but it's it's hard to do that when you go backstage because it's it's like a it's a lot happening. So try finding a way to get into like a, a bathroom or something where you can just breathe, breathe in and then and, and breathe out. But I also there's like a there's like a mental thing that I, I try to do is as I'm taking off the garments, it's like I'm I'm releasing the character and I'm not taking that character home. So I try to attach, I, I endow the garments and the objects in his pockets and those things with that character so that when they're not on me, I can release it. But also contrary to that, the opposite of that is that it kind of, it's weird because when we're in rehearsals, I try not to have my wallet in my pocket or things in my, mm. because then I'm reminded that I'm me. So I like to, it's, you know, it's endowing the garments and the things, the props with the ideas. And then, so when you let go of them, 
your you again. So. And for me, it's it's honestly these guys. My, you know, just remembering that I, you know, my name is Adrian. I got I got to get home and get my dogs walked. <laughs> you, do long you know, days. things like that. Honestly, like it's so funny because most times when I, nowadays when I'm doing um, like my meetings and stuff, I'm usually outside walking my dogs. Cause that's a, that's a time and a space for me to kind of think and be in nature and be outside. And like, I, like my energy responds well to, to nature and being, you know, just being outdoors. And so like, I'll take, okay. So I'll take them on a walk. <laughs> this is the only reason why I don't want to pick her up, but she can get a little demanding. Um, I'll take them on nice long walks. I listen to music. Music is another big um, source of, of um, inspiration and just calmness uh, for me. You know, when I'm going through something, there's a song, there's something that'll, that'll um, help me out. Would you like to invite our listeners or viewers to come see Black Odyssey? Would we? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Bring your ass to this play, please. Get will, yourself will in them seats before they fill up, because they're filling up. Yeah, they are filling up. We have had amazing audiences. Yeah. Like, yeah. seats are like, like almost, if not all full. Like, we've had, right. I mean, and just even for previews. Like the first two, three previews packed. It was like packed. I was like, wait a minute. We just like, and our first preview <laughs> was like the second time we ran the show. <laughs> yeah. So, which is why, which is why I think we already been like, what is going on? Like we, we literally only ran this show one time yesterday and we have a previews today. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. I was scared, <laughs> but whole I, audience too. But you know, we've had amazing audiences. They've been so generous. Yeah, they've Impressive. been so generous. Generous. I mean, like our first preview was like the show ran three hours, and nobody left. And they were engaged the, the whole time. time. The whole time they they were with us. For three hours. They're like, it was long, but it was good. <laughs> right, right. Everybody was like, it was long, but it was good. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.